So against that backdrop, let me tell you what happened this week. I was visiting with somebody. Um, I have been sort of a carrying on a conversation. One of the one of the comments he texted me in response to our talk was like, "Have you ever thought about designing your own religion?" And my first thought was, "That's what I've been doing." But as I came to think about it, I realized. That is incredibly profound. That is what every one of us is required to do. Every one of us is required to design our own religion. Now, on the surface, that looks kind of ridiculous. Are you saying throw out all of these other religions? Well, part of the answer is takes probably reading the book that I've written about it and sorting out the two dynamics of religion. One of those dynamics is encapsulated in the Old Covenant of Judaism. It's their covenant, the Judaic covenant. And it is how we live together in a group. Now, that is possible to be to, to, to result from an experiment. That morality can emerge as groups say what works and what kills the society. What, what, what prolongs the society, what kills the society. And we should discontinue doing those things that break the society apart. We should continue doing those things which allow the society to work and function well. And so who we are as a society does not require us to have answers about eternity, except in as much as they assume that we would rather survive and we'd rather not be in pain. And I think those are pretty, pretty safe assumptions. So in religions, moral systems, and I'm going to divide that off from religion, although it's contained in religion. So maybe the religion has has three purposes. It's a three-pronged approach. Okay, it helps us. It's a tool to understand the transcendent in the now, the supernatural, the things that we don't. It's a tool for us to understand eternity, and it is a tool for us to know how to live together. Now, the point of my book was to build a firewall between the understanding purpose, the tool of interpretation that religion is, and the moral system that allows us to live together. And what we ought to do, I believe, my hypothesis is, that what we ought to do is say, when I tell you don't lie, I am not helping you understand supernatural phenomena. I am not trying to let you comprehend the eternal. I am telling you that in a group of people, if you lie, then you lose the ability to communicate. That there has to be some, some truth in 
talking, otherwise talking is pointless, and if without talking, you cannot have a, a group of people. They, they have to communicate. That's a, it's a very simple illustration, and obviously I've written a whole book on it, but dividing up the purpose of what you're doing, separating the tools of interpretation from this moral structure, I think is incredibly important. And it's an important aspect of, of all religions. So, somebody says, do you believe the Old Testament is inspired? I believe that the Old Testament is a uniquely deep and comprehensive set of rules about what works. And perhaps God gave them, I do believe that, that, that God encapsulated them for Moses on Mount Sinai. But that was not that he made them up. It was that these are observable. So, so you could get them from a God on a mountaintop, or you could observe societies repeatedly and find out that the societies that have some sort of, uh, of way of, of doing these ten tasks, these ten commandments, survive, and those that ignore them falter in some way. Now, I, I can so easily get drawn into this, so let me back off. The firewall between the moral side of religion and the tool of interpretation, I think, is terribly important. It is vitally important in Christianity and Judaism, but I think it is true in every religion. So, right off, I am saying, no, we don't throw out the moral law, the observations about what works. I'm not suggesting we throw that out. I'm suggesting that we set that aside, very clearly. Set it aside. But the aspect of religion that tries to make sense of the transcendent, I believe, is absolutely I never get to say these observations about the supernatural should convince you of this answer about eternity. I never get to say my observations and experiments ought to convince you. I don't get to say I have the power to shut the doors of heaven to anyone who doesn't agree with my interpretation. So then you might ask, are you throwing out all of religious interpretation? So you're keeping morality around, but are you going to throw out all of interpretation? And I will tell you, that it's all there accept the authority to tell me when I ought to believe. Now, we're going to hold right there. That authority to tell me when I ought to believe. There is authority in the moral sphere. It is the authority of observation, right? I can say, I did X and Y resulted 
seems to be, since I've done that several times and had the same cause-effect relation, that this is a valid claim that I'm making. The authority rests in my experiment, my experience. But in terms of being convinced, in the terms of having a, a transcendent reality interpreted for me, I never get the authority to tell anyone what ought to convince them. Which, suddenly this morning, I'm lying in bed and it occurs to me that this is the answer. And I say that, hopefully humbly, but very excited. This is the answer to the question that, that Christianity presents to us. Christianity has in its founding documents, and, and again, those founding documents, it, it takes a lot of faith to accept them, and, and the record of what Jesus said and wasn't changed. But I, if you accept what Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul said, it would appear that Christianity makes a claim to be unique. Probably the clearest way is when Jesus is speaking to Thomas, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the only gateway to God. Now that claim is difficult. So your choices are to say, well, he didn't really say that. Which may seem like a short answer, right? Somebody added that. He didn't really say that. But then, nothing that we know about Jesus from the Bible has any meaning, right? Because all of it could have been added. Okay, so so you can say that, and it solves your problem in the moment, but it, it destroys the problem. I mean, it destroys the, the text from, from which this emerges. Okay, so then you can say, well... He just thought it was true. Well, that destroys his philosophy. If, if he said, I am the only way, but there are a number of ways to this interpretation, that, that all religions are attempting to do this, but he doesn't, then you got a problem. Or you can accept it and say, okay, he is the only way. And that's what was preached to me. So I, I accepted that as truth before I concluded it. But since I had this, since I had accepted it, then I sought to justify it. And here's how my justification, and I think much of much of evangelical Christianity at least, which I'm closest most aware of, but probably further basically comes down and says, yes, Jesus is the only way. But all of these other religions of the world will find its perfection in Jesus. So, it, it, it sort of forces you into mysticism or into a very tiny heaven and a very large hell. So, 
one or one of the other of these is happening. One is that you believe that when somebody follows their religion, C.S. Lewis seemed to to embrace this in the last battle, Chronicles of Narnia. If you are following faithfully a, a, a pursuit of understanding God, then somehow, eventually, maybe even after death, you will you will see. Jesus and realize he is the fulfillment of your desires and that you desired him. So honest pursuit of God will always lead to Jesus and he is the only way. So it preserves that unique nature of Christianity. Others say, well, Jesus is the only way. And so no matter how honestly anybody else is seeking God, they may have a religion that is not for them personally, is not based on power. They're not trying to exploit anyone. They're simply trying to discover God. But they were wrong. You go to hell. And a lot of people are adopted and yet are super uncomfortable with it, as was I as a young man. I. I it was, it was, so this is the loving God we have who has one secret truth one unique way in which Christ is different than all of the others who have pursued him our tool of interpretation is the only correct one as it comes to eternity others may be okay when they explain or predict we'll use predict predict supernatural phenomena but when it comes to eternity, it's just Jesus, and if you happened to not be around him, too bad. So people people don't like that, and yet that's one of the answers. But this morning, and I don't know how much I'm actively thinking. I was thinking about a dream I had, which was weird. There was a wild hog that was standing guard over a beaver, and we found it. Well, we were following a bear because my wife was trying to feed it a piece of pie from her hand. Uh, I have no idea about that dream. Okay, but anyway, maybe connected. I have no idea how. But but I woke up and I was and so I was sort of drifting in and out, thinking about this idea that I am pursuing a religion of one. I am designing a religion of one. And I, I, I see so much use in that pattern. I do not get to tell anyone else what convinces them. I can fearlessly or timidly, I can pursue God. And the moment I make it about anyone else but me, I am crossing a line and ceasing to follow the religion which Jesus Christ offered to me. What Jesus Christ offers to me is unique not because its conclusions are so unique. Some are, some aren't. But if some are and some aren't, then Christianity is unique because of the secret in one little corner, the one place it's different from all other religions. But what I realized is that Christianity 
claims to be unique precisely because it claims to set up a religion of one. It claims to set up a religion that is big enough for you and you alone. And I can totally understand how many people would feel like that is, Jeremy, you have not been looking at Christianity. And I would say, no, you haven't been looking at Christianity. You've been looking at the church. And I totally get why, because the church has said, we are the people who are going to teach you Christianity. But what they have done, possibly, is to make Christianity just like every other religion. The thing that occurred to me as I was waking up is that Jesus Christ suggests the meta-religion. Now we don't use that word a lot, but it is the religion that establishes religion. The process that creates a process. If so, let me give you a short, we've got like four minutes, five minutes, I don't know if I can do it, but let's give you a short justification of Christianity, the followings of Jesus Christ, not the church, the followings of Jesus Christ as the structure, the meta-religion. The first thing I go to is, and I have to step back, remember we said you don't have the authority to tell people what convince, what ought to convince them about eternity. That authority, Jesus Christ, he's about to leave, and, and, and it is puzzling at that moment that Jesus Christ did nothing. You, for the first three years of his ministry, you can understand that he didn't try to set up a religion. He didn't create an organization. Because he couldn't create that organization with a group of people who didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't know about his sacrifice. So, so he couldn't set this up. But you would think that in the period from his resurrection to his ascension, he would have been running around like crazy trying to establish some sort of organization. All right, because now people can understand him. He should have been assigning people and teaching them and telling them the organization and, and, and giving them the ground rules. He doesn't do that. And maybe you could argue that that was just because he didn't have time to, it wasn't going to work out quite right. But I would say, if there's any doubt at any other point, go to practically the last thing Jesus says before he ascends. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and in He says a little bit more, and then he leaves. So in the last coherent message, one of the points that Jesus has is that none of us, 
none of us have transcendent authority, authority in heaven and on earth. We, we have authority in social structures. They fall into morality, okay? So if you're playing a game of volleyball, you agree that the, the line judge gets to call in and out. That's part of the game. You want to be part of that little society and play a game. And that's a big thing, playing a game as a society. Okay, so you want to do that? That's fine. You agree to, but you don't. that, that doesn't count in heaven. So this unique kind of authority, this heaven and earth, transcendent authority. Jesus said, none of you have any of that. It is all mine. That fits. That fits. The idea that each one of us is responsible to create a religion of one. And it is a unique claim. It is why he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That cuts both ways. We have to come to Jesus. But we cannot try to come through anyone else. So what he sets up is a religion where... <clears throat> no, the pursuit of a religion, the design of a religion, where each individual must come to God on his own on her. We seek God because we hunger for him. And it is Jesus who creates that opportunity. It is through Jesus and you say, well, what if someone doesn't know about Jesus? Well, that doesn't mean he didn't create the path. What did he do? Well, he says, I took all transcendent authority. It, it, it's mine. It is not yours. It is not your pastor. It is not your priest. It is not your imam. It's not anyone else. And you are tasked with making up. Not making up. But designing, experimenting, coming up with an answer about eternity that satisfies you. Jeremy, have you ever thought about designing your own religion? I would say that is the story of my life.